This is a Soulfire production. You're listening to the Simply Be podcast number 260. Hello and welcome back to the show, my beautiful, beautiful friends. It's another Tuesday, which means it's another Simply Be podcast. At least if you're listening to this in real time, we drop the show every Tuesday morning and we come to you week after week with all the goods on how to simply be. And that means how to simply be in your business, how to simply be in your brand, how to simply be a human being here, having a spiritual experience, how to simply be your highest, truest self so that you can enact more light into this world and shine brighter than you already do so that you can not only become magnetic to all of the incredible business and abundant manifestations of prosperity, desires that you deserve, but to really give other people the permission to shine bright. That is really what we're here all about on the Simply Be podcast. And if you're new to the show, welcome. I'm so happy to have you. I'm your host, Jessica Zweig. And if you're not new, welcome back. I always love reconnecting with my Simply Be universe week to week, sharing all sorts of conversations, whether they're coming through as solos or their interviews like the one I have today. And I'm just so grateful that you tune in every week. You could listen to so many different podcasts and you choose to listen to mine. And I do not take that for granted. So each month on the show, we pick a new topic. In full transparency, I was resistant to talking about AI this month because I am not an expert, but I, I am telling you, I am playing with it. I love it. ChatGPT is my new best friend. I've got Read AI on my Zoom calls now, like it is definitely making my life easier. And I know it's only going to become more exciting for all of us across all different industries and ways in which we work. But that's not the whole theme this month. The theme this month is humanity versus AI. And again, I don't think it's a versus. I don't think it's an oppositional conversation, frankly. It was a little bit mistitled, if you will, when I chose the theme. It's humanity and AI. It's humanity with AI. It's humanity because of AI. And I couldn't think of a more beautiful, appropriate, perfect guest on my show in general, frankly, but in this month in particular, to return us to our humanity, to the depths, truly to the depths of the human experience. And the depths of the human experience include and mean and entail, and I'm specifically referring to the emotions that we have as human beings. And Chris Carr, my guest today, my friend who I just fell in love with even more in person. I've been following her work for many years. And if you're tuning in and you've been following me and you're sort of in the space of following aspirational, inspirational female entrepreneurs, you probably already know her. She has written a book, her latest book, I Am Not a Morning Person, What to Expect When You're Not Expecting Your World to Fall Apart, is honestly, my friends, profound. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous book that broke my heart open and made me laugh and made me cry in the same moments. She has an uncanny writing talent and she's known for, you know, building an empire, if you will, around crazy, sexy cancer brand books, documentary, 
message of how to really thrive with cancer. And yet it was the death of her father who in the last few years himself passed away from cancer that I think perhaps is her true message and her true teachings in the world. I think that this book is deeper than anything she's ever done. And it was my honor today to bring her onto my show and talk about grief and talk about agony and talk about trauma and talk about anxiety, all of these things that make up humanity, but in a way that has levity and a way that has hope and in a way that is honestly exquisite in its reminder of just how sacred and precious and beautiful it is to be a human. To feel that depth of that pain from that type of loss can only come from the experience of having loved someone so purely and deeply and wholly and fully as she did her father. As I know you do, the people in your life, your family, your friends, your children. Because I experienced the same depth and range of emotions too. And she's really just written a guidebook on how to navigate it all. And in case you don't know who Chris Carr is, (laughs) there are some of you that might not. She is a multiple New York Times bestselling author, a wellness activist and a 20-year cancer survivor. She's been called a force of nature by O Magazine, and she definitely is, and was named a new role model by the New York Times. She's also a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100, recognizing the most influential thought leaders today. She lectures at hospitals, conferences, corporations. Her media appearances have included Glamour, Prevention, Scientific American, Good Morning America, Today Show, Super Soul Sunday, The Oprah Winfrey Show, Wall Street Journal. She's a badass. (laughs) She's been everywhere. And her newest book is in true Chris Carr fashion, raw, inspiring, joyful, humorous, and light at the same time. And I just was so incredibly excited, for lack of a better word, that in the month that I want to talk about AI technology, how it's going to advance how we live and how we work, that I could bring someone like Chris Carr on to remind us that the human spirit really is the most powerful tool, aspect, gift in the universe. So without further ado, it's my deep honor and privilege to welcome Chris Carr onto the Simply Be podcast. I know you're going to love this interview so much. Enjoy. Chris Carr, welcome to the Simply Be podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here, Jessica. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm the happy one. And I know so is my audience because I know you've touched many, many women's lives, people's lives. I actually tagged you last night on a story. I was like, I get to talk to Chris Carr tomorrow. And I got so many comments that people are just like, I don't have any questions for her. I just want to thank her for helping 
me get through cancer, get through my life. Like you really have a special authenticity to you that is just very magical. And so I'm all about authenticity. That's my brand. That's my message, my mission. And your new book, I'm not a morning person, is as authentic as it gets when it comes to vulnerability and the depth of showing yourself and the human experience. And so I'm going to dive right in because I, I read it and I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Okay. So you, you know, you've written Crazy Sexy Cancer and these cookbooks and all of these things that are really dedicated towards your own personal journey with, yes, cancer, but I see you as a thriver, a healer, a teacher, you know, a transformationalist. And this is a book about, you know, the death of your father and what it really taught you. And you have a statement in the book where you say death and mortality reveal a hidden guide to life and healing. And in some ways you have written a roadmap for us towards living through the story of losing your father. So can you, can you share with, with me and with us, like, what was the catalyst for you to evolve into this being your next book? What inspired you to actually write this story? Yeah, that's a great question. And I had taken a big break from writing books. So I don't think I've, I don't know how long it's been. It's probably been like seven years, maybe longer. And so in the beginning of my career, this is my seventh book. You know, I was doing a book every other year and, and then I took a break. And after a while in publishing, you get this nagging feeling like, you know, I better put one out there. You know, it's just like, uh, you're only good as, as good as your last New York Times bestseller. Get, get that out there. And little, yeah, that little nagging voice. And, you know, but also my publishers wanted another book. My agents were like, hey, let, let's talk about this. And so I wasn't ready for quite some time. And then I thought when I write my next book, it should it should be transformational and positive and uplifting. And you got this, you go girl type of courageous experience. And I just couldn't write that book because when I sat down mm -hmm. to begin this process, my dad was dying of stage four cancer. I was approaching my 20 year cancerversary of living with stage four cancer. My business was struggling because I chose to take a lot of time to be with my family. And so, you know, you take your foot off the gas. There was a lot of things that I had canceled and and we were going through a global pandemic and I was like, okay, <laughs> right. I decided I would start where I was, which was dealing with a lot of grief and a lot of trauma and a lot of stuff that was coming up for me. And what I realized and why the title of the book is I'm not a morning person is because I didn't want to be. It was, I think grief was one of the emotions that I really ran from because I was afraid that if I allowed myself to feel it, it would take me down. And Whenever you have those feelings, I feel, I think that it's, it's a, a sign. Oh, there's something more here. Oh, let's bring some curiosity to this. And I know some, so many other people were struggling. And so as I started to write it and, and certainly through the process of, you know, going through my own loss, so much was coming up for me, old losses, past traumas, past experiences, and, and stuff that I thought I was over. Like, wait a minute, why am I feeling that? I thought I was over that. And, and that's when you realize we're never over things. You know, there isn't like a timeline for some of these experiences. And so there's a really great quote that Carl Jung uh, says, and, and I'm not going to get it right, but talk about it in the book is like, 
we orbit through the same stuff, the same themes throughout our lives. And with each orbit, we find a new layer of meaning. And from my perspective, the process of orbiting is the process of healing. And so that's why I wrote this book. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing. Thank you for writing it. There's, that's such a beautiful metaphor, orbiting. You have many in the book. You talk a lot about, um, you know, becoming unbecoming, which I want to talk about and the both and, and grief is grief and you have a big love for animals. And so do I, and I want to talk about that. But one of the things that you pose, you know, and I just, yeah, girl, I related like we like grief, like it is such a hard thing to face and it's so easy to avoid. We, we don't even maybe realize how much we avoid it. And you've really taken us into the grief of your losing your dad. And it, it was heartbreaking in many points to read, but in a, in a beautiful and bittersweet kind of way. And you have this uh, reflection that when sad things happen to us, when we lose our partners or we go through a divorce or we get fired from a job or just tragic, sad, hard things happen to us to not ask the question, why, why is this happening to us? To ask the question, what instead, can you share more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I love how you describe that because the truth is, is that ruptures happen to all of us, ruptures big and small. And that's what I call them. And it is that moment where you get diagnosed, or as you said, you lose the job or your partner cheats on you, the miscarriage um, and so forth. And these are really hard times. And, and unfortunately, none of us are immune from them. None of us, even the richest people on the planet with access to all of the things that we wish each and every one of us could have access to, they are not immune from ruptures. And so I think we live in a society that's very black and white, very binary. We're either winners or we're losers. And especially if you think about the cancer journey, this person lost their battle with cancer and whatnot. And that's such a common phrase, which I think needs to be removed from our way of relating to people. Um, but anyway, my point here is that the ruptures come and few of us have developed the skills or the tools needed for that sort of survival. Um, I know this was stuff that I wasn't taught. Certainly mm -hmm. isn't something people talk, my friends would talk about, talk about in school. I mean, I'm lucky. I know a lot of transformational thought leaders. So this kind of is the stuff that we talk about now. <laughs> yeah. Your people in your homes. <laughs> But, you know, this is such hush-hush stuff. And yeah. so to your question, look, sometimes we will know why something happened. Sometimes why is actually a good question to ask. And we're human. So we're going to probably ask that question at first. The problem is, is if we get stuck in that question, why me? Why now? Because we get stuck in that, we begin to ruminate. And through that rumination, you know, we're stuck in the, the unchangeable past or the fear-based future. And when we're in either of those places, we're often beating ourselves up. And so if you find yourself in that place, just say, ah, oh, this is what my brain does. This is normal, but I can pivot to a different question, which is what can I do now to support my body? What can I do now to support my mental health? What can I do now to support my spirit, which puts me in a posture of um, take, being able to take action as opposed to beating ourselves up? Yeah. I loved that reframe. And you have some really beautiful tools in the book, very like prescriptive. It's almost like a guidebook to healing and dealing with grief as much as it is your own story. So I loved that, that part, especially. 
you know, you said something too. You have this uncanny way of, I'm sure you already know this, but you're fucking hilarious. Like you have this, <laughs> this ability to like talk about these deep, heavy things with such levity, like in the same breath. And it's just extremely refreshing. And it was a joy to read on that level. But you talk about how you didn't fart until your mid forties. And that's when you realized you had free will. <laughs> and I like laughed out loud. And so my, my question for you is, is twofold. One is um, that's segue into the story you talk about, you know, becoming unbecoming and not, not waiting until your golden years to like fucking live your life and, you know, be un- imperfect and seize the moment and be yourself. So my question for you is twofold. One is, can you share more a little bit about that like hypervigilant Chris that didn't fart until she was in her mid forties and what that was like and then what the golden years mean to you now, you know, since your father's reflection around that? Yeah. Well, first I love that I got to make you laugh because that was one of my personal goals in the book. You know, I did a podcast earlier and you and I, before we started, we talked about what it's like when you're releasing a book and it's go time and you know, you're on, you're just promoting and promoting and promoting. And, and, um, the, the guy who's interviewing me said like, you know, I thought it was going to be heavy over the topic of grief. And it's like, but it was so light and refreshing and deep. And, you know, even the conversation that we had just had, and I feel like my, my intention for this book was to be able to add all of that rhythm and all of those layers. So I can take people to really deep places and know exactly when I need to throw in like a big humor bomb or bring some levity to it. Because when we go on these journeys, it is intense and it can't be one note. And so as a writer, that was really, really fun for me. It almost felt like being a conductor. And so I know, I just appreciate that you had some laughs. You could tell it like had like staccato rhythm, (laughs) melody, beats, like a drop, like was, it had all the things like your writing styles pretty masterful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So there's a chapter called Becoming Unbecoming and to take a step back. So each chapter is basically shaped to respond to an emotion or an experience that you may go through when the shit hits the fan, when the rug gets pulled out from under you and you feel like, you, you know, the rupture, you're picking up the pieces. And so one of the chapters is all about anger. And I actually didn't realize how, how much these big, big, messy emotions, oftentimes the emotions we try to avoid are connected to grief or intertwined with grief or like grief's cousins rolling into the, the, the club, I think I say, like demanding bottle yeah. service. And when I was going through the big like anger chapter, it was very hard for me to write because I had a lot of shame around it, to tell you the honest truth. And I'm blessed to have a couple of incredible editors who work with me on the process and the project. And every time I thought that I was going far enough with that chapter and I was like, I can't possibly write more or say more, or, you know, be more vulnerable or share the rest of that story. And, you know, I thought I'd cross the line and they would say like, uh, no, we're actually not publishing that for your own career. You know? <laughs> My main editor, Pamela, would say, that's it. That's all you got. I'm sure you were more pissed than I'm sure you can go deeper. And it's just it kind of mirrored what I was trying to describe in the chapter is especially for women. This is emotion an emotion that we have been taught not to express because yes. as, as my grandmother would say, that's unbecoming. 
<laughs> you know, and that's the time that she came from, right? Definitely. That's unbecoming. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so anyway, I, uh, she also thought like farting was unbecoming, burping was unbecoming, you know, crying was unbecoming. So I do, I do kind of poke fun at some of those things, you know, which is why I didn't fart until I, my mid forties when I realized I had free will. And <laughs> yeah. So thank you oh, for yes. laughing at that. But, um, so I go on this deep exploration of this powerful, powerful emotion, because I think for me specifically, I was surprised. I was taken aback by how much of it I was experiencing because one of the things my therapist had mentioned to me was when the, she said, when the grief train pulls into the station, it brings all the cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sure does. So that was one of them. Um, and so I talk about the power of that emotion and how every single one of our emotions are there for a reason. You know, we can't amputate any of them and expect to be whole, which I think is one of our goals in life. And oftentimes anger is a signaling emotion. It's there to tell you something's up. It's there to protect you. It may even be saying, ow, this hurts. It's just information. And yet we, especially as women, have relegated it to, to the back of our beings. And what doesn't come out one way will come out another. Yes, true that. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, I know, girl. <laughs> 100%. I felt so seen in your book. Let's just say that. <laughs> you said that's about anger, actually, that I, I would love for you to help unwind. Anger, when we're not suppressing it and hiding it or running from it, Anger is an emotion that can make us feel powerful. Yeah. And grief can make us feel powerless. So how do you unwind that? Or how do you actually conjoin that to see yourself more wholly and fully? I think it's just the awareness of it, quite honestly, of like, oh, I'm feeling grief and grief makes me feel powerless. And when I feel powerless, I feel out of control. And why do I feel out of control? Because I'm a human being and what do human beings need? Certainty or crave or want or, or desire. Why? Because we're mortal. You know, at the very heart of the matter is we're mortal and we know it's somewhere inside, you know? And so yeah. it's just that awareness. Oh, I'm feeling this feeling and this is what my brain does. And this is normal. What can I do to come back home to myself? What can I do to self-soothe? What can I do to get out of the fearful future, get out of the yeah. self-deprecating past and just be like, yeah. I am sitting here right now with my new friend, Jessica, and this moment is beautiful. No, you had a lot of, thank you for that. Cause I, People, you know, everyone, everyone, myself included, has experienced anxiety, trauma, depression, grief, loss, right? And there, there's also a part in the book where you talk about like epigenetics and DNA and how some of us are more predetermined to experience, you know, the lineage in their, of their ancestry in their own lives unconsciously. That really struck me. I'm Jewish and my my family, my dad's side, especially fled from Nazi Germany. And, you know, you go to many Holocaust museums across the world, you'll see my last name. And so um, I actually had a recent experience. I'm very open with my community about all the plant medicines and things, fun things I do. So I was recently in an MDMA journey and I had this ancestor um, arrive or like, at least I became aware of, it wasn't really an entity. It was more just a, 
a reprinted DNA in my womb of an ancient ancestor who was starving on the streets and just money, scarcity, abundance, me chasing, like it's been a core theme in my life, right? For me to truly heal. And so you talk about this in the book in your own way that I'd love for you to explain honestly, because your message and you share it in your own unique way about what's really happening to us when our parents experience trauma and our grandparents have experienced trauma and how that lives in our bodies and what we can do to transmute that. Yeah. I mean, I'd say one of the best people, if people really want to go deep with this is Gabor Mate. You mentioned it. Yeah. He's just remarkable. And, and I can speak from my own life and you know, from your own experience, because everything affects us at the physical, psychological, behavioral level. You know, that sense of scarcity that your parents had because their grandparents had, because it was really real and they were deeply traumatized by a horrific experience that no human being should ever have to go through, right? There's pieces of that that get passed down. There's pieces of that that get passed down and will continue to be passed down and hopefully less and less as we are able to heal and do more of that work. And maybe in some way, the more we're able to look at this and and do some of this deep healing, the more we're actually able to heal all the way deep into the past. So I don't, I don't know exactly how it works, but that would be a beautiful hope and prayer. Yeah. I know for my own life, you know, for me that, that generational trauma is around abandonment. So I met my biological father when I was 18 and he left when I was conceived. And he, I found out later in life had met his father when he was 16. So abandonment was our shared DNA. So all of the the stuff that I may carry and the wounds and the baggage that I have around that, as I start to go deeper into this work, I start to have compassion for him. You know, he did what he was taught. He did what he knew. And there are times when I get flooded and it's too much for me. What's my first impulse? It's to cut and run. And I have done that in relationships and I have regrets around that, but that's what I know. And so when we're just starting, when we become aware of this, I, I hopefully bring compassion to ourselves and our lives and our hearts and our behaviors, because we know it comes from a place of deep hurting and then say, ah, okay, you have every reason to feel this way. And, you know, but what could we do instead? And it's that what we can do instead question and exploration through our own self-awareness, as much as it is compassion for those that have hurt us because they were hurt, that I think transmutes it and breaks it and creates a new DNA, a new earth, frankly, Mm. for, you know, and someone like you that's going to write this book, that wrote this book that's going to be written by, read by all the people and they're going to reflect on so many things. But compassion, self-awareness creates this ripple effect that I think shifts the vibration of our planet in like a much bigger way than our great-grandparents and their great-grandparents could ever have imagined. Like, I think that's what we're really up to right now as a generation of light workers, co-create a new earth that is founded in compassion and oneness and healing for ourselves as much as the people around us. And that includes our family and the people who've hurt us the most because we loved them the most or they wouldn't Mm. have hurt us the most. Mm. And love is the truth of the universe. So there's a lot of layers to 
you know, what you wrote. At least that's what I took away. Thank you. Can we just transcribe everything that you just said? And it's the introduction for your next book. It's just well, it so kind of beautiful. Is. Okay, good. Thank <laughs> <Can> you. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Thank you so much for saying that. But that's what I'm, it's in my heart right now deeply. And And again, like when I read your book, the second I started reading it, you know, I talk about from a more Pleiadian, you know, alien perspective, frankly, like the necessity of emotions and how this is the unlock to the full breadth of the human experience and what we came here to, to really have and share and do. And it's messy, like it's on your book. And so I just think your, your book is important, you know, on a lot of, a lot of levels. Um, I wanted to talk about DNA. Okay. I want to talk about, um, this, you actually mentioned this metaphor that I'm familiar with, but I think I'm going to botch the name, the Kintsukuri metaphor how you got Japanese. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Someone once gave me a card with that image and described it. And it was after a really messy time. So we're talking about grief. We're talking about going through it. We're talking about asking certain questions, how it could potentially heal our parents and generations, but like what's really on the other side for us when we break down and the rupture, as you describe it, and we're shattered into trillions of little pieces. And if you could explain the metaphor for those that don't know it and what that, you know, how that can help people look at their own grief a little differently. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. So it's basically an an art where if pottery breaks, instead of throwing it out, you basically put it back together with gold. And so there's these gold veins through throughout where the pieces come together, the broken pieces come together and the gold glues them together. And so the thought is the object is made more beautiful by the brokenness and by the gold holding it together. And you can imagine what a pot like that would look like. You don't even have to see it. In, you could see it in your mind's eye rather. And so I think why I chose to use that as a metaphor was there isn't going back to a time where that pot is perfect or that pot is the way it was. It's different now and there's scars now, but those scars can hold beauty in them. And there isn't a, sometimes there is actually, sometimes there is getting over, like I am over my ex. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I I am like I never thought I would so sometimes there is a getting over but other times there isn't and I think that just the sobriety of that can be liberating it doesn't mean that we hold the same pain it hopefully means that over time as we're orbiting around these themes it we soften and soften and soften and we realize We don't have to be over something to be able to move through, to be able to keep living, to, you know, we have a certain amount of time here. What are we going to do with it? We don't have to have it all perfectly lined up and fixed and intact before we say yes to life, even if we've been crushed. And I think that's the point of it. You know, the hole in my heart is not going to close. It's not going to heal. And I'm not saying that to be a downer. I'm saying that because it's just the truth. But can I build other beauty around it? Can I build other joys around it? New experiences around it? Like my new friendship with Jessica around it, you know, new richness around it. Yes, all of those things can exist, but many of us put our life off until looks a certain way in our mind. You know, like, well, when this is sorted, then I'll X, Y, Z. 
I haven't found that to work. (laughs) (laughs) I just haven't. I've tried. (laughs) Thank you for saying it, like sharing that. I can hear and feel and tune into the people who are listening or who will listen to this. And what you just shared is going to, I think, really hit. It was a beautiful description of that metaphor. And, you know, speaking of (laughs) ex-boyfriends, I'm married of 11 years. So this was like past lives, but in my twenties, I was, you know, deeply in love with this guy and we broke up and it was just the worst thing ever. Traumatic trillions of pieces, my heart. And about a year later after doing, you know, as much healing work as I could, I went to a concert. I saw Imogen Heap and I don't know if you know her, but she's an indie artist. And I had never experienced a concert like that. And I realized that the depth of my pain had opened up and cracked me wider to hold capacity for all of it, including joy and the magic of music and the the depth of community, like being with a friend, dancing and singing. Like I had, it was richer. I was more alive. And just the beauty of that pain was, it was, it was, it was painful, but it was beautiful. Mm. And even though I've gotten over the guy, you know, you mentioned the hole in your heart. Well, yeah, it's always going to be there, but that hole is available and a receptacle to so, so much more. So I loved, I loved that metaphor. I just wanted to reflect that back because it made me think of that concert. So there's so much here, Chris, it's such a good book. One of the things I actually did, I think people will will appreciate this because you talk about the, you know, anxiety a lot, trauma responses, and, you know, we're familiar with fight or flight and then there's freeze. And then you actually talked about fawn. And I, I realized a year and a half ago, besides in a toxic relationship that I unfortunately had with someone in my company, that I was fawning. And I didn't, I didn't know what that was until someone explained it to me. And I think that you break it down, you know, simply in the book. Can you kind of share what sort of that spectrum of anxiety looks like and, and where fawn fits into the picture? Yeah, you know, when we think about the ways that we behave when we're hurting, First, we bring an enormous amount of compassion to ourselves. And I think specifically with fawning is when we're in this place, especially if you're afraid to lose somebody, what will you do to try to keep the peace? What will you try to, what will you do to keep them happy? What will you do to be in good favor? And we put an enormous amount of energy in that direction. I know I have done that where I am just like overly fawning over somebody in my life that something's going on if I'm in that place. And so again, it just comes back to like, I had never heard of that either until I started to do some of the research, especially around trauma responses. And then I go, oh, this specifically speaks to me as somebody who inside there's still a little Chris who's terrified that she'll be left, who's terrified that my father left because I wasn't good enough, Um, that my mother suffered as a single mom who had me as a teenager and because he left because of me and now her life was so rough. And then believe it or not, like as my father, this is 52 year old Chris, like as my biological, my adopted father, who is my chosen father, was getting ready to to transition and pass, I realized like, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out because I'm having a feeling that he's going to leave me. No, he's not leaving you. He's not abandoning you. He's not walking out the door. But little Chris didn't know that. And so one of my behaviors is to 
gush through love, extra, you know, just extra, extra to the point where you're just like, dude, too much extra. You're suffocating me. <laughs> And it's just looking at those things and realizing, oh, this is, this is what I do when I'm in pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You offer so much, um, just safety in the book with your own stories across all these different spectrums of these hard, hard emotions. I had a lot of, um, shame, frankly, around my own fawning when I could see it in hindsight and the way you just expressed it, just like, there's a part of us that's hurting and it's our own way of making ourselves feel safe and there's nothing wrong with that and just becoming conscious, you know, yeah. and taking care of ourselves through it. And you, you have at the, towards the end of the book, it was, it was just so beautiful and refreshing. Get to know you in this completely different way. Um, you know, it's still very you, but to really go deep inside of your heart and your soul and your family, it was just, it was a, it was a gift. You brought it back a little bit to wellness, you know, but in a different context, right. Of, how to take care of ourselves through hard things and, and grief and, and these darker emotions. And so you, you address the five pillars of wellness and it's a little bit of a reframe at the end of the book. Um, and I'd love for you to share some of the favorites or break that down yeah. for us. Yeah, I can do that really briefly just to give people the taste of it. And it's funny because I said to myself, I am not doing wellness in this book. I am not teaching people what to eat. I'm not reminding them to drink water. Like I have done that for 20 years. Yeah, this totally. is a different book. And then I was like, I can't not give them one thing. You know, like that wouldn't be right. They need this, you know? So it's I'm glad very... I asked this question, by the way, then. I'm glad I asked this question. You know, and so this chapter is called self-care in the storm because look, when we're in the storm, it is so hard to take care of ourselves. And if we find ourselves in the position of being a caregiver, then more than likely already running on empty, we're super depleted. And so you add grief to the mix, you add trauma to the mix, you add, you know, whatever you're going through that's real fucking hard to the mix. And you're probably the last thing on your own list. And even if you're the first thing on your list, you don't even want to take care of yourself because you're just, you're underground, you know? And so I teach the five pillars in my wellness community and they are about being mindful, not perfect, being mindful, not obsessive, being mindful, not hacking mm -hmm. your well-being, right? Mm -hmm. Being mindful yeah. of optimizing these things, what you're eating, what you're drinking, what you're thinking and how you're resting and renewing. Just like sprinkling a little, sprinkling a little water in each of those little wells so that you're able to at least maintain some sort of baseline of well-being. And this chapter is more geared towards the caregiver or you when you're in that extreme depletion. And I lay out the kind of like some goals and some guidelines and some thoughts and say, you know, yeah. the biggest thing, I think the most important thing here is if, there, if I were to distill one tip from that chapter, it's lower your standards. Good enough is good enough. Yeah. You know yes. what I mean? Totally. Because this isn't the time for a full blown lifestyle makeover. Yeah. But I'm glad you put it in there. Like, I know you wanted to give your readers a little taste of what they would want from Chris Carr, but a responsible chapter, because you're talking about these deep and heavy things that rock us mentally, psychologically, men emotionally, and to not address how to at least bare minimum, take care of yourself physically as the one grieving, you know, you had to put that in the book. I think that's yeah. a part of the whole journey. It would be, I, it can't be a book without sometimes saying eat your vegetables. 
you know, like, yeah, or I think I'll just put that in, in every book. Just, oh, and by the way, eat your vegetables. <laughs> Noted. Well done. <laughs> uh, so. Okay. So I have, well, I have one more question for you and then I have a, a reflection. So I guess I'll ask you my question first. Um, this has been so fun and there's just, just so much in here and I really, I'm excited for the world to have it. And you know, this isn't my reflection. I have another reflection in a second, but I want to say this just came to me. My first, my first book was about branding mm-hmm. and now I'm writing a book about like spirituality and women empowerment. And someone said to me, oh, you're pivoting. And I was like, no, I'm evolving. And then my mentor said, to me, it's not an evolution. It's a revelation. Ooh. Like, who you, yes. And I want to say the same thing about this book. It's a revelation, Chris, mm-hmm. like who you who you really are. And you're, I think, really here to teach beyond everything that you've already taught, what you're really up to. And that was my reflection. I'll end with my question. I just want to say this. I had like a meta thought, (laughs) like she wrote all these books about like healing from cancer and she's just, you know, impacted the world with that, but how profound and ironic in the most beautiful way that it's actually her father's cancer and his journey with that disease. That's going to really be her message in the world. And the the teacher of cancer is, is bigger than I think what people see right now without having read this book. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, it does. And I think that, that was probably at the heart of my anger chapter, to tell you the honest truth. This, and the, I love the, the reframe. Everything you just said was, I had no idea what that diagnosis and that journey would, what it would ignite in me, you know, especially since I've been doing this for 20 years and in in many ways, I had this belief that I had really made peace with the disease that I live with. And in some ways I certainly have. But when it came for my dad, I was like, now, now we're ready to fight. I think that that's where this holy anger came up in me. And, um, and then just the process of being able to go deeper into, as you've just so beautifully talked about all throughout this interview is like the human experience. You asked me a question and I didn't, I didn't answer it. And I want to, I want to, I want to make sure I answer it, which is you asked about making your golden years now. And so one of the things that I lace throughout the book is, is my dad's advice and, and wisdom and, and some of the, cause he was, and is my mentor still. And um, so it was one of his last birthdays and he was giving a toast and we were at a beautiful restaurant and, and it was a little heartbreaking. It was like actually very heartbreaking but he had told us in the toast that, you know, I worked so hard. I worked my whole life and here I am retiring and thinking that and now I'm going to live out my golden years and I have terminal cancer and I only have a certain amount of time left. And he said, it's so important for us to realize that we have to make our golden years now. And I wish I had given myself more experiences like this, he said you know, where we were in this beautiful Martha's Vineyard restaurant. Summer was his busiest season. He had uh, owned a paving business and he would never have given himself that opportunity to take time off in the summer, even though he was CEO of the company, right? Mm -hmm. You just think I'll do that when I retire or like we talked about earlier, when this is over, then I'll boom. And he goes, but here I am now. So figure out what you're more like this is and make your golden years now. 
And I want to make sure that I share that with your beautiful audience because it has impacted me in ways that I, I don't even think I've been able to start to even self-articulate, but it helps me with like a lot of the big decisions, even my business decisions. Um, it's just like, it kind of is my new compass of what is my more like this and how can I make my golden years now? Beautiful. That was one of my favorite scenes in the book, that dinner. I felt like I had to put the book down and run to the bathroom and fall apart. Like you did. I'm not joking. It was written really beautifully. Yeah, thank like, you. You took us into the agony of that moment. And, you know, I'm so happy we ended there and we left my audience with that wisdom that your dad gave you. I felt chills. I felt energy around us as you were saying that maybe it's, maybe it's him, maybe it's something else, but you know, I really am grateful to know you, Chris, and to have you on my show today. And I, I just have one last question, which is the question that I ask every guest at the end of every interview, which is, you know, the words simply be are my podcast. It's the name of my business. Got a little inspiration from a tattoo here on my wrist that I got when I was 24. I'm 42 and it's one of nine and my favorite. So <laughs> simply be has a lot of layers. I don't think it just is a business or a brand name. I think it's a mantra in many ways. So I'd love to know when you hear those two words, simply be what they mean to you. Simply be a good friend to yourself. It kind of all works out well from there. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for being a teacher of what that looks like. Even if it was as beautifully painful and messy as it's been, you've given the world such a gift with this book, like as if you could top yourself, like this is, <laughs> This is, this is up there. So thank you. You're so good. Thank you, Jessica. It's true. It's so true. Shout out where people can go buy it, follow you. I mean, I'm sure you're easy to find, but where's the best place to, to buy your book and get involved in work? You can get it anywhere books are sold. You can find me at chriscar.com and you can find me on Instagram at crazy sexy Chris. Well, it was wonderful to be with you today. Thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. This was amazing. 